A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And so the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest! And on earth, peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angels had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen him, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed about the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. And when eight days were completed, so that it was time for his circumcision, he was also named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 9, verses 3 to 7. 
You will multiply the nation. You will increase their joy. They will rejoice in your presence as with the joy of harvest, as people rejoice when they divide the spoils. For you will break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of the oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the marching warrior in the roar of battle and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. This is the word of God. Let's start in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for being able to come here on Christmas Day to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can gather together as a family, that we can gather together as friends, that we can gather together in peace and in love and in fellowship with one another. Open up my mouth uh, to speak your words and open up the ears of the congregation to hear your words today. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Well, I'm a little bit more nasally than I thought I would be. Uh, I've only been sick for a week or so, but I, uh, I, I thought I'd be better by now, completely better. I feel great, but someone told me last night, like, you, you sound really bad. And I was like, do I? I can't hear myself, uh, but, but I think I'll be fine. And so uh, one thing I want to do this morning is kind of before we get into the scripture reading, I know we've heard the Isaiah passage in Isaiah 9 for the last four weeks, uh, I think even the first Sunday in Advent, we had part of our reading from Isaiah 9, but I want to look into that a little bit further. Uh, but before we start talking about the passage in Isaiah and Luke, I just want to talk a little bit about the church calendar and, and Christmas time. And so, the, as, as probably everybody knows, the time leading up to last night at sundown is when Christmas time actually starts. Uh, on Christmas Eve uh, at sundown is called Advent, and that's the expectation and, and coming of our King. And uh, but uh, Christmas time starts starts then, and it goes for twelve days. We're all kind of familiar with the twelve days of Christmas songs, and it's you get a partridge in the pear tree by the end or at the beginning and at the end of the song. And so uh, that comes from the church calendar. And so the twelve days of Christmas is to commemorate what the... I'll give you guys a little test. We could do a little talk back, right? You guys are okay to answer the questions if you, if you know the answer. So after Christmas, after the next 12 days, what's, our, what's the next thing on the church calendar? Epiphany. Epiphany. Very good. That's why John Luke gets the front seat, because he's always got the answers. Uh, Epiphany, which is the revealing uh, of Christ, or the acknowledgement of him. And we usually start with the, <coughs> with the Magi. And so those 12 days, the early church 
commemorated. There's, no, there's nothing in Scripture that tells us that it was 12 days, but it seemed like the early church believed it took the Magi 12 days to get to, to Christ. And so there might be more behind it, um, but we celebrate 12 days of Christmas. And so then we start Epiphany, and, and then uh, I just don't want to get it wrong. Then we go to Lent, then, then Easter, and Pentecost, and, and Ordinary Time. And so... Uh, some people have historically just given gifts, you know, one every day for the 12 days of Christmas. And, and so if you didn't get me anything, then you, can, you got 11 more days and you know where I live and, and you know the drill. And so, um, but even as early, if you guys know John Chrysostom, uh, who lived in the, uh, in the 300s, he even wrote in a letter acknowledging how the Christians observe the nativity, which is what we call Christmas, or if you're, if you're Catholic, you would call it today the Nativity of Our Lord. Uh, Pif- he called it Theophany, which he called Epiphany. Which we, I'm sorry, we call it Epiphany. He called it Theophany. Uh, they, the early church didn't celebrate Easter until uh, till much later calling it Easter, but they celebrated uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ during the Passover, because that's when it happened. And then they celebrated Pentecost. And so the, the early church had started to adapt the Jewish uh, liturgy and, and time frame of feasts and festivals um, into the New Covenant. And so our culture, which gets a lot of things wrong, especially gets celebration wrong. And so they call this Christmas time. They call Advent Christmas time. And so it's not just a, uh, a matter of semantics of they just call it by the wrong name. Is then once Christmas happens, it's all over, and then they throw it out the door, and then uh, if you're in the world, you got like a week where you don't have to really go to work a whole lot, or you can get away with not doing a lot of work, and then you get to celebrate New Year's, and then you, I don't know what the next holiday is uh, in our Western calendars, but um, I think as just as evangelicals, <coughs> excuse me, we tend to learn more from the world and adapt things opposed to just adapting our traditions from the church fathers and, and, and uh, holding to the traditions and faith that was passed down to us. And so what I want us to do, what I'd like to see just as a community is for us to celebrate more biblically. And so most of the, the feasts in the Old Covenant in Israel were multiple days. Uh, Passover was seven days. Feast of Bruce was seven days. You know, there, there were one day Holidays like Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. You don't have the Day of Atonement for a week. It's the Day of Atonement. So that's a normal one-day celebration. And so I just want to encourage everybody that we are in Christmas tide or Christmas time until January 5th, until the sundown of January 5th. And so keep the Christmas celebrations going. Keep the, uh, if I may use the, the spirit of Christmas going while we celebrate in Christmas time. Be generous. Enjoy fellowship with one another. Uh, probably most of us are blessed to where, you know, if you work a normal job, um, you don't have to work a whole lot or you're not going to work tomorrow because it's, it's observed so you can get one day off and your boss is usually lenient towards Christmas or towards New Year's Eve because they know you got to get ready or something. And so, you know, just fellowship with one another. Be generous. Give gifts. Uh, keep on celebrating. We got 11 more days. And so, <clears throat> um, and the other thing I was just kind of meditating on uh, through the uh, last couple weeks 
is, you know, we get a lot of, um, well, I don't know about we, I'm going to say I hear a lot of maybe more uh, legalistic and pietistic Christians who kind of like rain on, rain on the parade of joy during Advent and and uh, and Christmas time, because it really is just very commercialized. It really is very much in the world about giving gifts and how much money you can spend or or how much money you can not spend, uh, depending on what side of the uh, field you want to play. Um, you know, and and they see how commercialized Christmas is, and so there's usually like a, a wet blanket thrown on on the joy of giving gifts and and different things and. And um, I was able to watch Kirk Cameron did a little documentary called Saving Christmas. Has anybody seen that? No? Okay, so I could have just plagiarized it and not give him any credit. <laughs> but he does a really good job of, of the storyline goes as such as there's a, he's at a Christmas party. His brother-in-law is a big old wet blanket on the, on the joy of it. And he's like, ah, oh, this Christmas tree is pagan. Giving gifts is so commercialized. And, and uh, like, you know, all, Santa's a, a pagan. Everything's pagan. <laughs> and he has a good job of explaining it. And there was a scene in there where he's explaining about giving gifts. And if you were to see how he set up gifts, you know, around the Christmas tree, it looks like a city skyline with a tree, a evergreen living tree in the middle of it, which should remind you of the new city in Revelation, where it's, it's encompassed around uh, the tree of life. <coughs> and so I just kind of want to encourage us as we, and uh, Kirk Cameron is apparently very influenced by the likes of like James Jordan and, and Gary DeMar, if you know who I'm talking about. So he kept using the word through new eyes. You've got to see Christmas through new eyes. I was like, I get it, Kirk, how are you talking to me? Uh, like, I, I read the book. Uh, but, you know, I just really encourage everybody is, is uh, you know, as we see the, the Christmas tree, as we, like with presents, you know, we're, we're, I think, encouraged to be generous because, you know, the, the, uh, one of the first passages we read in Isaiah 9 is that to, unto us, a son is born unto us. It's like, it's, this is for you. This isn't for, to fulfill some, just some random prophecy so God can do his thing. It's like, this is for us. This is for you, right? It's gift giving. Um, I was able, Lily was, uh, I was laying in bed with Lily last night and you know, she wasn't really tired, uh, <laughs> not ready to go to bed. And she was, you know, she said, dad, I think I'm getting 27 presents. I said, okay, did you, because th- she was able to count the presents under, the, we, we're the type of family that will put the presents under the tree like a week ahead of time and torture your kids so that they have to, you know, be patient and, uh, you know, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was like, well, did you remember that grandma's going to give you presents? Grandpa's going to give you presents? And she's like, I'm going to give more presents. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's very easy to say, well, no, 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 it's not about the presence, and just don't be excited about the presence. And it's very easy, even as parents, to be kind of wet blankets to your kid's joy. It's not a bad thing to be joyful for receiving presents. Uh, but you also, as a parent or, you know, as 
as a, as a head in your household or anything, you want to lead in the right direction. So, you know, that was an opportunity to be like, well, you know, isn't that awesome that, like, just because Jesus was born, we're going to give you guys a bunch of presents? We're going to, like, that everybody's filled with, like, generosity. And that's happening around the world, right? Regardless of whether they're celebrating Christ intentionally or not, it's because of him that the world can't deny that we are giving presents to one another. It is a, there is a real spirit of Christmas going on over the entire world that can't be stopped, you know? And um, it's good to, you know, see the, the tree in the middle. We've got it in the middle of our living room because we don't have, like, space in a corner anymore. And you know, to see that, the, that we bring in a, a living tree, or at least, you know, an evergreen tree that has the, won't be living too much longer, because we forgot to, I forgot to water it uh, a lot. But, you know, but we bring in a tree that's, that's living to make our house look more like a garden, right? The temple, as you see the tabernacle and temple being built, is supposed to be looking, you know, there's trees, there's pomegranates, there's, there's the, if you use that Nasby or King James, it, it says ornaments, right? Now, it's not ornaments like we're hanging on a Christmas tree, but ornaments that are decorations, that are bulbs, you know, that are pomegranates and, and, and uh, almonds and different fruits that are, that are brought into the temple to symbolize a, a garden, right, that the, where God first met with Adam and Eve. And that's where his presence meet, is, and it's going to be fruitful. And... So, and then the, you know, stringing up lights around the tree, it's a, you're able to, to teach and show and, and symbolize, like, remember Abra- the promise that God had to Abraham, right? That your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And so, <coughs> excuse me. So, you know, as, as Christmas time goes on, you know, think about those things, meditate on those things, and, and use those things as teaching moments when, uh, you know, if anyone tells you that the Christmas tree is pagan, just ask them, be like, which, which pagans? Which ones? I don't remember. I don't know which ones. Uh, you know, but use those as, as moments to be able to say, like, no, this is, we put this up because Jesus is the tree of life. We put this up. It could have been pagan. Pagans use trees for all sorts of things. That doesn't stop us from using trees. That doesn't stop us from uh, hanging up Christmas lights, right? We love to go, our neighborhood, even though we're in the ghetto, we still have a lot of houses that have Christmas lights and, and decorations, and we like to go drive around the ghetto and look at them. So, I don't know if, there's, there's not a thus says the Lord, but there's a reason why most people don't take their Christmas tree down right after Christmas. It's because we're still in Christmas time, so you're allowed to leave it up for 12 more days at least. If you're a little slower after that, it's, it's, no one's going to judge you, right? And, and so I just want us to start thinking more biblically about how to celebrate and how the Lord calls us to celebrate. This Christmas isn't a one-day feast. It's a 12-day feast. And so continue on being generous. Continue on uh, fellowshipping. Continue on uh, with the joy. <clears throat> and so... As we get into our Isaiah 9 passage today, uh, my goal is that as, as we've been kind of enamored with this passage in particular, everybody's probably heard it a hundred times, and if you, if you listen to Christmas music, you've heard it even more, um, 
this Isaiah 9 passage, but I want us to think a little bit more biblically about it, and especially about the promises that are held in this passages. And the intent, the outcome should, be, should bring us joy, it should continue our joy, and it should lead us to joy unspeakable, as it says in First in Peter. And so we're particularly going to be looking at the promises found in verse 7 of Isaiah 9. And that says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And I've kind of listed those promises are, number one, his government or his ruling will increase without end. And one subset A would be that because his government is increasing and he's continuing to rule, peace will continue to increase. The second promise is that his government or his ruling will bring justice and righteousness. And the third promise is that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will bring this about. And so uh, we want to understand these promises not just because we're so enamored with them and, and, and we just kind of gloss over them, but we want to understand what God is doing. And so the first one, his government or his ruling will increase without end, right? Christ is not going to allow his kingdom to shrink back. And this begins when, for unto us a child was born, a, a son is given. When he was born, his kingdom began and started on earth. If Christ is the promised Messiah, the promised king, then when he was born, that's when he became king. It wasn't, there wasn't going to be an installment. Uh, he, he, we do celebrate the coronation when he ascended, and that would be the, the father handing over the, essentially the title deed to the earth, but his kingdom started when he was born. And it's not going to shrink back. Um, he's not going to allow his kingdom to, to be defeated. And so... Just like we recite in the Nicene Creed every week, is that you know he will, uh, his kingdom will come and uh, it will increase without end. We say that, you know, we recite that, and because that's one of the promises of Scripture, that's what we should be looking for, right? That's what we pray for in Matthew six: that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is as it is in heaven. That's what we're called to do when we make disciples. That's Jesus' last command in the Great Commission which is part of his kingdom, is to make disciples, to, to baptize the nations, right? Not just baptize individuals and nations, but to, to baptize and conform the nations to, to his obedience, right? It says that uh, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And so that is a ruling, that is a government, that is a, you are baptizing them into, into the laws, into the life of the king, Right, you're not just trying to get someone to say a, a sinner's prayer and and uh, and somehow come to Jesus without having to obey Him, right? And so the the promise is in His kingdom is is very related to is directly related to obedience to to government to His government to His ruling, and so that's not just a a a pietistic, um, you know that that just Christianity is going to influence and, and grow on the earth, it's that people are going to obey Jesus. They're going to come to him and submit to him. 
right? That's what government is. That's what ruling is. And so that is what brings about peace. That's what brings about peace uh, on, on the earth. And so the, I love, uh, Noel and I had sort of been reading together through uh, Isaiah over the last month or so. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, Isaiah 2, I think Greg had talked about it recently, Isaiah 2, Micah 4, is almost verbatim the same thing where it, it talks about peace being influenced through the whole earth, that as the mountain of the house of Jacob is raised up, that other nations will stream to that mountain because they have the law and they will take their pruning hooks and, and turn them into shears. I'm sorry, their swords and the pruning hooks and they are taking weapons of war and turning them into weapons of agriculture. That there's no more need as they learn the law, there's no more need for war, there's no more need for uh, defense and attacks, there's need for more people working in agriculture and, and production, right? And so that is, uh, peace is directly related to Jesus' ruling and his, his governance and obedience to him. There's no other way around peace. There's no other way to peace, right? Where his kingdom expands to, peace is sure to follow. And so if you want more peace in your house, you need more of, your, uh, more of Christ's kingdom. You need more. If, if you don't have any inner peace, you need more submission to Christ. That's how you get peace, right? If you want more of his kingdom, you want more submission, right? Uh, if you turn to Luke 9, to remind you uh, of what Christ said about bringing, about how peace would be brought about. Luke 9, 41 and 42. And when the day drew near, this is, he saw the city that is Jerusalem, and he being Jesus wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And so that, that those things that Jesus even said what made for peace was self-sacrifice, carrying his cross, submitting to the Father's will, even death. That's what brings peace. If you don't have peace in your household, if you don't have peace in your, in your heart, if you don't have peace with uh, your boss or, or any other human being, what brings about peace is, is self-sacrifice, Right? Uh, bearing your own cross, submitting to the Father's will, and even, uh, even dying to yourself, right? Dying to your own will, right? Those are the things that make for peace. Those are the things that bring you uh, more into subjection under, in God's kingdom. And so I love the third stanza of Joy to the World. If you didn't know, I was doing a little bit of research. This is not actually, it was not intended to be a Christmas song. It was uh, intended to be an Easter song. Uh, when he first wrote it. But, but I love the third stanza. It says, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow as far as the curse is found. And so that's where God wants to bring blessing, where there's sin and there's sorrow, there's unrest. That's where he comes to make peace. That's where he comes to make things right. Where the curse has gone, that's where his blessing is going, right? That's where if there's, if there's unrest, if there's, if there's no peace, uh, if there's turmoil, that's where God is calling you to 
come under submission to him so that they're the, the that as you advance farther into his kingdom, farther into Christ, that his blessings would come more and the curse would flee. And so that second promise, that his government or his ruling will bring justice and righteousness. And so as his kingdom grows, right, the, it would bring justice, justice to the earth. Righteousness is, is sure to follow. And so one of the things we see is we get a little bit, a cloudy vision. It's just part of human nature because we're, we're finite. We only live like 80, 90 years, you know, maybe more if we're lucky. And so we view history in very small terms. We view history, you know, as, as most of us in the West just view modern history since, you know, about 1776 onwards, because that's what mostly we're taught in the public schools. And that's a, that history is good. But we don't have a, it's hard for us to grasp like six to 10,000 years. It's hard for us to grasp that. And so um, even if you go back to before the flood, before Genesis 9, where there was no government, there was no rulers, there was no nations, all it brought about was anarchy and chaos. All it brought about was that there was no restraining of sin, right? There was no, there was no government to restrain uh, sin in the people, and God instituted that after after the flood, and but even you know we don't have we just have like a couple lines in Genesis that said that that people's hearts were you know ever wicked and there was violence everywhere, and you can just like imagine you know if you saw any video footage of the streets of Portland a couple years ago when they were rioting for a few weeks or whatever, it's like it was probably like that maybe like times ten and without guns and with swords, um, but but. You know, we kind of have this small view of, of history where it's hard to, to, especially since we ourselves, this generation, these generations that are you know, represented here, have generally lived in peace, right? There hasn't been any major uh, wars, you know, um, that have been fought. And so, so his government, you know, when he rules, it brings forth justice and, and righteousness. And so if you were to just look at <clears throat> what was going on in the world in the first century and, you know, maybe going back uh, 500 to 1,000 years about how it was, even in the Roman Empire itself had so much unrest. It's like a, some kind of weird political romance novel drama. If you read Roman history where this emperor was here for like three weeks and then he got killed because his, he slept with his sister and... They married or something. And, and, you know, there's just so much, uh, un, you know, injustice and, and so much turmoil that was regular in the world. I watched a, just a 10-minute documentary about um, a, a Christian historian explaining what it would have been like to live in, in the uh, first century Rome and even just how they build their houses. It was... It was Normal for the poor people to live at the top and the more wealthy people live in the bottom and they would, you know, stoke their fires to warm the, at the bottom and those, are, those dwellings easily caught fire and they would often catch fire and everybody second, uh, you know, story up would just die and that was normal and that happened every day and that happened all the time and there was gladiators and you would go down and you would 
maybe see, see in the news or, or hear about which gladiator got killed and, and what it was like, and maybe you can go and watch it, right? The, the injustice and the unrighteousness just that was in Rome, I don't even know if we can comprehend, right? The, John Gray did a great job about talking about deep darkness last night. About uh, the first passages in Isaiah 9, about Naphtali and uh, what's the second country? So the second tribe, Zebulon, were in, in deep darkness. And it was just like this utter deep depravity that I don't know if we could comprehend what those, like those parts of Jerusalem were going through. Because we have 2,000 years of peace and righteousness and justice increasing year after year after year. And it's kind of hard to fathom um, just what the world was like when Christ was born, how dark it was. It is, it is just, it was insanely dark. And so when he was born, his promise is that, that peace is going to increase, justice is going to increase, and righteousness is going to increase. It's going to fill the earth. And in God's, you know, eternal plan, the mystery is not that he's going to set up, you know, in his glory, he came to be a king, was born on the outskirts of town. Uh, Mary probably went into labor as she was like, riding on that donkey, and it's like, ah, now's the time, uh, uh, what's closest? This inn, that doesn't have any room. And, you know, that's all in God's forbearance and his plan, and is more to his glory that he came as king to be born just in the middle of, like, almost nowhere, right? That's how, that's how he came, and um, we, when Noelle and I and, and Lily go down to South Carolina to see her family, Every year, Noelle's sister, Katie, does a, she works with a, a school that does uh, art and stuff. I say art and stuff because I'm not an artistic guy. I don't really know anything. But they do plays, and they do a really good job. And uh, there's one called The Silent Star, and it's, it's, it makes me cry every time when there's just a visual representation of shepherds in the middle of a field who are just out there working. They're nobody special. And that's who God wants to tell and reveal his glory to and has a whole host of, of heavenly angelic angels uh, that proclaim that. to so like, hey, you guys, you field workers who are just watching sheep in the middle of the night, you get the first uh, announcement of, of Christ's birth. And then, sure, I love the passage in Luke. I just got to say I love it when Mary's like, she just like treasures these things in her heart and like, hey, I just gave birth to, had all these like weird dreams and this, you know, this miraculous conception and Joseph was going to divorce me, but he said he had a dream and an angel showed him some things and then we need to go over here to Bethlehem and now I went into labor and I'm giving birth in a manger and now these shepherds said that they saw angels and they brought them here. And Mary's just like, just, she just like treasures them in her heart. She's like, I'm not really sure what's going on. <laughs> like, I don't, think I, I don't think Mary quite got it at, at that point. And, but she just treasures them up. And every year when, uh, I think it was the second or maybe third year I saw that play, when you see the visual representation 
of, you know, shepherds in the wilderness, and you can kind of picture it a little bit better. It's, it's just makes it a little bit, brings it to life quite a bit. And so, you know, the, the darkness that Christ was born into is just hard for us to comprehend because we do have 2,000 years of increasing peace, righteousness, uh, and, and justice. Even some of the most pagan cultures these days, pagan governments, are more influenced by Christ and his law than by, by human law. Um, there's a lot of work to be done, but, but there, are, there is uh, influence. It's not like it was you know, even back in Rome or, or a thousand years ago with parts of the world having little to no Christian influence. But, but that's what I, earlier in Isaiah he prophesied, is that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be raised up above the other mountains. They're going to teach his law. They are going to be the ones who bring about peace on earth, right? Through teaching submission to Christ, how, how Christ rules, right? And then the third promise that I want to quickly talk about is the zeal of the Lord will bring this about. And so that just should bring us total comfort and joy, and, and uh, it takes the burden off of our back. That doesn't mean we don't have to do anything. That doesn't mean that God doesn't uh, have responsibilities for us. But it's, that's, I love how the Lord concludes that it's the zeal of the Lord that will bring this about. He is, is zealous for his house. Right? When Christ is in the temple and he clears the temple, the thing that brings uh, in the book of John, which brings the apostle to remembrance, is when, when Jesus is flipping tables, he remembers Psalm 69, where it says the zeal for his house will consume him. And how did it consume him? He was flipping tables and whipping people. <laughs> right? And, and so the Lord has a zeal for his house, for his temple, for his name, for his people. Right for His glory, and so uh, we're not. God doesn't save us so that we'll work for Him. Uh, he uh, so that because He needs somebody to work for Him, He saves us. He calls us so that we could do a work with Him. Right, and so <clears throat> not that we have to to lay that burden on our on our own shoulders. Right, the zeal of the Lord will bring this about. And so we should take comfort and, and uh, you know, what we do is come here every Sunday and celebrating the Lord's Day is we receive that grace, we receive his word, and we go out and, and do it. Right? We go out and, and live like Christians. And we come back on Sunday, and then we go back out and live like Christians by the grace of the Lord. And so... The Lord isn't going to change his mind. He's not going to flip and he's not going to flop back and forth of, you know, maybe he's going to do it, maybe he's not going to do it, maybe, you know, because of my perspective that it, it, uh, it looks bleak sometimes. And so maybe, he's, maybe he changed his mind, maybe he just stopped, maybe, uh, as, as Elijah said, maybe he's out taking a leak. But he said that to the, to the Baals, to the other gods. Maybe they're out taking a leak, right? No, we don't. We don't get that at all from the Lord. All we get is his constant outpouring of, of grace on us. And so I just want to remind us, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, but if we turn to Ephesians 2, verse 
starting at verse 3. Talking about among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, where we are now, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so that's where we are now, the outpouring of his grace, the outpouring of his blessing. He wants to show us how kind he can be, right? That's why we love giving gifts uh, at, at Christmas is because of, because of his kindness, right? Because of the gifts that he, is, he has given us. And so that's what brings it about, is this God's own zeal for his own people, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. Because of his great love for us, he just wants to show us how kind we could be, how kind he could be, right? And so as we come to the table uh, today, we can uh, have the kids come up, but as we, as we come to the table today, uh, I just want to go back to the third stanza of Joy to the World. This is my second favorite. Well, I would say this is my favorite Christmas song. My favorite Advent song is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But this is probably my favorite Christmas song. So the third stanza reads, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And so when we come to the table today on Christmas, reminded that for unto us a child is born, and when Christ said what it's going to take to make peace, it's his own death, it's his own body, it's his own blood. But grace only goes as far as the curse is found. You only get grace for where there is sin. You only get grace for where there is need for grace. If, if you were good on your own or if there is... Uh, uh, if you don't steal, you don't need grace for not stealing. You already have it. You don't need, you might need more, but, uh, but you don't need grace for sins that aren't committed. You need grace for sins that are committed, right? And so as far as the curse is found, that's where he has come to pour out his blessing. As far as it is dark, that's where he comes to bring light. So come, let us dine with Jesus Christ.